God is so faithful. I was adopted, and when I met my birth mum, she said to me that when she gave me up, she didn't even know if God existed, but she prayed over me that I would go to a Christian family. I'm standing here today as a testament to God's faithfulness. And some of you are here today and you don't know God yet, but he wrote the pages of your life before you were born, and he knew that you'd be here today. His goodness is chasing you. You need to know that today. His goodness is chasing you home. Bonfires. I don't know about you, but I feel like this series has come at the perfect time. If you're noticing what is going on around you, if you're noticing what is happening to the people that surround your life, and if you're noticing what is happening within you, then you will have realized that we are all on journeys that at differing times and in differing ways have become too much. In my early 20s, I can remember a friend saying, Susanna, you are someone who never gets stressed. She said, you're always laughing and you never let anything get to you. Another 30 years down the track, I recently caught myself saying to my youngest daughter when we were needing to fill out some paperwork, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I feel so stressed. And if you're in any doubt that our mental health is connected to our physical health, I then found myself in a clinic talking to a dermatologist. And I said, why have I got eczema on my hands? I've never had skin problems in my entire life. And his first question was, have you been experiencing more stress lately? By the way, this was in the middle of COVID. <laughs> I, think, I was thinking, you, you're asking that question? I think we've all been experiencing lots of stress. In preparing for this sermon, I felt God say to me, I chose you for this. What you've been experiencing in these last few years mirrors what many have been experiencing in Hong Kong. The disorientation, the sense of loss, the increase in stress and the reaction to it, the numbness, the lethargy, the loneliness, the retreating back. So here I am speaking to you today as one on the journey, as one who is still processing her emotions and still learning to be still and listen for his gentle whispers. Today we end this series by finishing the story of Elijah, ending it with his calling of Elisha. We've already learned that Elijah has experienced a journey that has been too much for him, a journey that led him to a place of physical exhaustion, a place of emotional despair, a place where he literally called on God to let him die. God has met him in this place. He's touched him and created space for him to process his emotions. And as we heard last week, God meets him tenderly in the midst of this complete breakdown. God shows him mercy and speaks gently to him in ways that he can receive it. And then God tells him that it's time to anoint Elisha to succeed him as a prophet. So let's take a look at this last part of Elijah's journey. 
1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Now, you might be asking, how does this end of Elijah's journey, the calling of Elisha forth as his his successor, how is this connected to our mental health journey? I think there are a number of things that we can learn from this passage. When God says, Elijah, so earlier in the story, when God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Part of his answer is, I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He's saying, I'm on my own. I'm all alone. An article that's titled The Relationship Between Loneliness, Psychiatric Disorders and Physical Health says this. Human beings are social and require safe and secure social surroundings to survive. Loneliness can lead to various disorders like depression, alcohol abuse, child abuse, sleep problems, personality disorders, and even Alzheimer's disease. It also leads to various physical disorders. Left untended, loneliness can have serious consequences for the mental and physical health of people. Like Elijah, a deep sense of loneliness and isolation often contributes to and accompanies mental health issues. God understands this. And in helping Elijah to move forward and stay healthy, he gives him a partner, Elisha. He leads him back to connection. He leads him back to community. Let's pause for a minute. I think there is something here that's really important for us to grasp. Elijah told God not once but twice that he was the only one left. Was this true? No. God gently reminds him that there were 7,000 others who had not bowed their knee to Baal. See, when you are severely stressed or you've been traumatized, you can feel completely alone and isolated. Elijah completely believed that he was all alone in his journey. But his emotions and feelings were not feeding him the truth. After Andrew's sermon, Emotional Exhaustion, he prayed and he said, some of you feel alone all the time. But he said, that is not fact. He then encouraged us to see a life or see our life with a fresh perspective. I opened up my hands and I heard God say to me, you are not alone, not family-wise and not friends-wise. God spoke the truth into my heart. He changed my perspective. Our mental health journey is not meant to be travelled alone. Connection and community 
is meant to be a part of our healing and our ongoing health. But it doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. A regular rhythm needs to be created in our lives. At least once a week, deliberately connect with a friend or a family member. Work it into your life, set aside time, and journey with someone. I've set an alarm on my calendar on my phone so that it pops up once a week and says, Susanna, connect with someone. (laughs) Now, you might not need this, but it certainly has helped me to remind me that I'm not to journey alone, and neither are you. And then there's connection to professionals. In our first week of this series, Andrew gave some pretty raw statistics about mental health in Hong Kong. One in seven people. But I think what was more frightening was the fact that out of the people surveyed, the majority said they would not seek any professional help. When I worked as a member care director for an NGO, we worked to provide counselling for our members before they thought they needed it. We encouraged them to debrief with trained people who knew the questions to ask them. We encouraged them to do this while they were healthy, to develop a rhythm of regular connection so that they could remain healthy. Counselling is often seen as the very last resort, but it doesn't have to be. Counselling can become a part of our lives that helps us regularly debrief, giving us opportunities to process our emotions and the journey that we are on. You can reach out to any of the counselling agencies in Hong Kong, but we also have one ourselves right here as part of our church. It's called Oasis, and it's filled with professionally trained counsellors. So I would encourage you, if you've never gone to a counselling session, take a risk. You won't regret it. Sign up and debrief with someone who's trained to kind of unravel you with the right questions so that you can see what's going on in your journey. Let's read the second thing that happens in this passage after Elijah calls Elisha to walk with him, to partner with him in his journey. Verse 21 says, Elisha took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha gathers up all his tools for farming, all the things he's used to make his livelihood, and he burns them. He creates a great big bonfire. It's Elisha's way of demonstrating that he's all in. He's showing that he's not leaving any avenue for him to return to his previous life. He's 100% committed to pursuing the new How does this connect to mental health, you might be asking? Well, when you are struggling with a mental health issue, our minds have this way of dragging us back and causing us to relive the trauma or relive the painful emotions we are struggling with. When we are anxious or fearful, we can feel stuck there. It's like ruts in our minds, well-worn paths 
we rewalk the same painful memories and we refeel the same weighty feelings over and over and over again. Elisha creates a bonfire because he doesn't want a way back to his old life. And in the same way, if we want to create healthy rhythms in our life, we need to find a way to escape the well-worn ruts in our minds that keep returning us to the past. Everybody is different, but I would like to share today how God did this for me. On October the 21st, 2005, a dear friend, a mentor, was taken suddenly from my life. He called me his little sister. And one day he was walking with me around my backyard, chatting with me about the future and encouraging me. And the next day he was killed in a car crash. Some months later, another trauma impacted my life. I'm not going to go into the details because it's not just my story to tell. These two traumas brought me to moments like sitting fully clothed under the shower, weeping in distress, in agony of heart, feeling like my heart was being ripped out of my chest, longing for the water to just wash everything away, the memories, the pain. I started my healing journey by receiving some counselling from somebody I knew and I trusted. But I still remember flying into China soon after. My job at the time, ironically, was to look after the mental health of the staff of the NGO I was working for. While I was there, I was lying on my bed at night and my mind was sending me back to the days of the traumas, causing me to see and feel afresh all the pain and agony like it was happening all over again. I was crying out to God to help me and I picked up a book I'd brought with me and it began to speak to me. The author was sharing about traumas and brokenness and how we often go back in our minds and relive them. The author spoke of creating an off-ramp in our minds. When our minds try to steer us down those well-worn ruts, back to pain, back to our despair, back to our anxiety, we say no. I'm not going back there. And we force our minds to think of the good things in our life. For me, it was things like the beautiful sunset we saw while sitting on the beach at Darwin, the cuddles and warmth of my doggies, the scuba diving trip to the Philippines that my husband and I did for our 20th anniversary, that friend that I have, I won't mention her name, who snorts when she laughs, you mentally force your mind from the well-worn ruts onto the off-ramp. Now, when I first tried this, I wasn't always completely successful. But the more I practiced it, I found it easier and easier to, stay, to say, no, I'm not going back there. And finally today, I can hold both the memories of those two traumas in my mind. I can think on them and put them away. They no longer tear me apart as they once did. Maintaining our mental health and healing as we continue our journeys requires us cutting off the avenues that lead us back to relive our pain, despair, anxious thoughts, and our loneliness. 
to move forward, we'll need to create some bonfires. Let me share my experiences with bonfires. In Australia, we love a good bonfire. In fact, on my last trip back, I was able to go to a friend's farm. We built a huge bonfire in one of their fields and we sat around it. The mist sort of came in and covered all around us and there we were around the fire chatting and sharing life. Yes, bonfires are great for burning things. But every time I've gathered around a bonfire, I've enjoyed warmth, community, space under a huge sky, slowing down to rediscover the simple things. So today I'm going to use the idea of a bonfire as imagery to help us remember the rhythms we need to create to strengthen our mental health. So the first thing you do is you actively build the bonfire. You collect the wood and you stack it in a heap. God did not neglect Elijah's physical well-being, and neither should we neglect ours. In the first week of this series, Andrew showed how our mind, our heart, and our body are all interconnected. If we want to be well in our mental health, we cannot neglect our physical health. We need a rhythm of regular exercise, and we need to pay attention to what we are putting into our bodies. If you're like me, get some people to hold you accountable. At the moment, I have people around the world holding me accountable to 30 minutes of exercise a day. I started, I got very techy and I started a hashtag called encourage and exercise. And um, there's people around the world who join me every day to remind each other that um, we can do it together. And that's probably the next um, point I want to make. Don't try and do it by yourself. Do this with a team. Get someone, grab a friend, join a group of hikers or tennis players or whatever it is that you really love to do. Create a rhythm. An article called Exercise for Mental Health states, exercise improves mental health by reducing anxiety, depression, and negative mood. It also improves your self-esteem and your cognitive function. So after you've actively built the bonfire, you gather around it with people you love and want to connect to. The bonfire is a place of community. To stay healthy, we need to create regular rhythms of connection, ensuring that feelings of isolation and loneliness are burnt up on the bonfire. Elijah needed to be directed and encouraged to connect again. God said, and I'm paraphrasing here, go back, meet with, and anoint Haziel. Connect with Jehu, son of Nimshi, and anoint him king over Israel, and then call Elijah or Elisha to walk with you and succeed you as prophet. Like Elijah, some of us here today need to be reminded to rediscover and create connections. In regards to our mental health, community is not an add-on that we choose if we want to. Community is a God-designed necessity. Number three, around the bonfire you stop. 
You still and you gaze at the fire, you listen to the crackle of the flames. Last week, Andrew said that in Hong Kong, it's always the wind, it's always the earthquake, it's always the fire. Is it any wonder that we feel wind blowing, that we feel shaken, that some of us feel burnt? We need stillness in our lives. For the sake of our mental health, we need to hear the still, small voice of God. There was a reason God sent Elijah on a 40-day and a 40-night hike to Mount Horeb. On that trek, it was just him and God. At night, I'm sure he sat around a fire and looked at the stars and was still. God created the Sabbath for a reason. It was rest. God rested and we're created in his image we need rest sabbath is a rhythm god created to ensure we stay healthy and we stay balanced many of us here today are out of balance many of us need to re-establish a sabbath in our lives where we stop where we listen for god's gentle whispers and respond to his touch and his leading Lastly, you use the time around the bonfire to burn things that shouldn't be carried anymore. You release burdens, baggage, anxious thoughts, all the weight of the week or maybe the weight of years into the flames of God's love. Knowing that when you walk away into a new week, you walk in newness, you walk with a renewed mind and heart. When Elisha burnt all his farming tools, he decluttered his life. He made space for the new. We need to create a rhythm of decluttering in our lives. There are things we are carrying that we need to place into the fire. This releasing happens through prayer. In regards to mental health, prayer is your biggest weapon. The Bible puts it like this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We release our past and our future anxieties by making them known to God. He already knows them. But in us choosing to share them with him, to offer them to him, we are relinquishing our control and inviting God to join us in our journey. And when we use this incredible gift of prayer, God sends his peace. Not just any peace, but one that goes past all of our understanding it doesn't make sense to us in the circumstances we're in that we could be feeling so peaceful. That's what it means, a peace that passes all understanding, one that guards and protects your mind and your heart. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Would you stand with me? We're going to have a practical time now of prayer and thanksgiving.
just close your eyes with me. What needs to be burnt up in your life? What needs to be decluttered from you? Do you need to create some space for the new things God has for you? Andrew had this picture while we were praying earlier of someone with darts in their back, thrown by the enemy. And he saw Jesus just come and place himself between the enemy and the person with the darts in their back, protecting them. And there was this sense of great vulnerability in this person that they didn't have the strength to defend themselves. And so I want to start by speaking to those who feel vulnerable, who feel like they have darts in their back and they cannot defend themselves. God would remind you that he stands in the gap for you. And Pastor John took the picture further by saying that it's not meant to just be Jesus who stands in the gap. It's meant to be this body, this community, that we're meant to stretch out our arms as well and stand in the gap. And during worship, I had this strong sense to speak to parents, parents who are standing in the gap for their kids. And some of you are feeling so overwhelmed. You love your kids so much. But there's such a fear in you of where their life is going and where their life is taking them. And you wonder whether it's worth standing in the gap for them anymore. And God would encourage you today, don't stop. Keep standing in the gap. It matters. It's making a difference. Don't give up. If you're feeling vulnerable without the strength even to pray for yourself, would you put your hands out in front of you as a sign to the people around you and to God that you need God and us to stand in the gap for you? Would you do that for me? Would you just reach out your hands in front of you so that we can see, so that we can come and stand alongside? Maybe just look around you if you see somebody with their hands open. Maybe just stand with them. Don't have to say anything, just stand with them. Father, I lift up those who've come today, bowed down heavy with burdens with very little strength and no capacity to even raise their voice for help. Father, you see, you understand, and you brought them here for this moment. So, Father, we surround them. We choose as a community to stand in the gap for them, 
to say that we will protect you. We will stand between you and the dart thrower. We will pray protection over you and walk with you until you're strong enough to pray for yourself and to walk your journey again. And for the rest of us, we're just going to take some time. The worship team is going to just sing over us. We're just going to take some time to be still. We're going to create some space. And you're going to picture yourself walking up to that bonfire and throwing in the things that you know you shouldn't be carrying anymore. Putting in all the anxious thoughts, the future fears, putting them into God's hands, throwing them into the flames. Let's just take some time and let's do that together right now.